3: Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and Womentowatch.net. We're going to have a great show this afternoon, and I'm just going to give you a couple of quick notes at the top of the show. Uh, We always love to hear from our listeners, so if you'd like to call in and ask uh, a question to either one of my guests this afternoon, we'd love to hear from you, and you can call 888 3293306 that's triple eight three two nine thirty three zero six. uh also we'd love for you to visit our website at womentowatch.net and you can check out our tremendous lineup that we have scheduled through uh, next summer actually through July uh, our website is women the number 2 watch.net so this afternoon we have uh, a chock full show we have uh, not only our Own in-house financial advisor, Jocelyn Ewart, is with us this afternoon, uh, the founding principal of Entrust Financial. We also have waiting in the wings, I hope, um, is Margie Warrell, who is an author, speaker, coach, and um, a thought leader, um, international thought leader, joining us from Australia. So we're going to start off with Jocelyn, and and she's going to be talking um, for a few minutes about leadership through financial um, empowerment, I guess I'll I'll say, you know, how we can be leaders by taking care of our personal and family finances. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. It
2: is a treat to be back in the studio with you, and yes, uh, empowerment through shaping and directing one's own finances is our topic for this afternoon. Uh, March has been quite a month so far. For example, last week's event at the Philadelphia Free Library, Disrupt the Patriarchy, was in honor of Women's History Month. The event was well attended, as you know. Uh, Fortunately, the crowd was very diverse, so it made it extra interesting, and there were some unexpected uh, comments that were made. I know that you had some thoughts about it when you were there, Susan. I did.
3: I think um, you know we attend a lot of these types of events, and I particularly love these types of panel events because you get very um, different perspectives from the women on the panel. And one of the things that I think is important to always keep in mind is to f- focus on the positive rather than the negative. Um, in other words, um, rather than think about what barriers might be out there for women in business and in leadership, um, that we can kind of ignore those those barriers and even those cultural things that have been in place and focus on what we can do today. Um, and I think the women on that panel had some great... Um, positive feedback and and things that have worked for them in their careers. I I completely agree,
2: and i found one of the most interesting things in terms of moving beyond the barriers, like you just said, the women really did move beyond the barriers, almost as though to them they were invisible. And I think one of the most instructive comments that um, uh, I think it was Veronica made was that her mother used humor to move uh, beyond. And she learned that pattern from her mother. So when a barrier rose just because of tradition, she just made light of it and just kept right on going. Um, and the theme, as you pointed out, uh, the disrupt the patriarchy theme basically was about women speaking up and assuming uh, their capacity and Not only is that a passion of mine, but uh, in essence, that's the mission of your show, Susan. So I thought of that when I was uh, enjoying that event last week.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, I'd like to spend a few minutes discussing women making the choice to assume this leadership capacity with respect to their finances, as we said a, a few minutes ago. In the world of finance, my world, what this means is that women need to make the choice to guide and direct their personal finances rather than completely handing off that responsibility to uh, what still happens today in most cases, a man, often their husband. Not only do women need to guide and direct their finances, but I believe that we have the full capacity to do that with confidence. For example, even if the family division of labor um, dictates that the husband is going to take care of a lot of the details for the household. I think it's really critical that the wife still understand what the family financial resources are, how, where, why the financial resources are being allocated as they are, and I think that the wife needs to know when there's a change in the family finances that might affect their financial security and independence. Uh, in fact. Just last week, I was discussing this issue with a couple, um, particularly because this particular couple, for a couple of decades now, has handled such dialogues quite well, even though husband's basically in charge. And so I asked them, you know, how do you handle these conversations so you both feel completely empowered in the choices that are made for the family? And what they told me that one of their keys to success is that they start each financial conversation by putting all of the cards on the table. For example, together they take a look at what the current family resources are, including income and investments. They discuss major expenses and consider options for how to pay for them. And when they face a major financial decision, their conversations start with purely at the informational level. Each spouse maintains an open mind, That's part of their value system. They don't vie for position or turn their financial conversations into power struggles. And they conduct these conversations on a regular basis, typically monthly. The family doesn't wait till a crisis occurs, and then all of a sudden, husband and wife have to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, They reported to me that they don't try to make decisions or take action until after each of them has had a chance to reflect on their current situation and give voice to the course of action with which they are most comfortable. Another factor that was important to them, they emphasized to me that they made a specific financial commitment to one another, and that commitment in their particular situation was the decision that everything that comes into the marriage is considered marital. In this particular couple and family's case, they have chosen not to have assets uh, labeled as his or hers. I referred earlier to the need to communicate without delay when something material happens to affect the family's financial security or independence. And thinking about that when I was having this conversation uh, last week, uh, I thought that listeners, when they hear about the idea of a major change, they might be thinking about the fact that um, the stock market has been very volatile this year. And when you hear major change, people often immediately think uh, that maybe their portfolios have lost money And, you know, to that note, I want to say that despite the beginning volatility this year, in general, there's a steady trajectory of the markets in the positive upward direction over the long term, despite noise.
3: Good. That's good news.
2: Yeah, that's good news for everybody. And uh, it gives me a chance, too, to remind listeners that anything I discuss is not to be considered financial advice. Uh, I'm only in a good position to advise clients when we've established a working relationship. Um, returning to our women's history topic, that of women assuming leadership, just as you said at the beginning uh, of the program, Susan, I welcome your listeners to call in or even to contact the show electronically to weigh in on how they guide and shape their personal or family finances. Perhaps a listener can share a strategy that's been particularly successful, and then we can share it with other women to help them along the way on
3: their journeys. I always love to hear the stories of women who who really were not involved in the finances and then took an interest in how it changed their you know their life it It does,
2: and you know what's interesting? I'm really glad you said that because at the end of the day, uh taking leadership with regard to finances in a situation where it's a couple or a family is really about communication mm-hmm. and every single time both partners really have a genuine dialogue, an authentic dialogue the couple is better off and stronger. It may be, the subject may be about finance, but I think the most important part of that dialogue is the couple moves to a new level of understanding and a real sense that they're pulling together and collaborating for everybody's benefit.
3: Oh, absolutely. How they're living their life and what their values and priorities are, right? Because exactly. that comes back to the, you know, their financial
2: well-being. Exactly. And whether the wife happens to lead or the husband, when both come together at the table, it's really better for everybody. Yeah, um, I think this is really an exciting topic and, and very, very timely and important. Um, over the past few months, we've talked about organizing financial documents, which everyone's doing like crazy right now to get their income taxes going. We talked about using a holistic uh, approach to address the various facets of planning for financial security and independence. Um, I'm thrilled that now we're really focusing on women assuming the capacity that they do have to be a full partner when it comes to their financial lives. Um, There is another leadership task I, I just feel I have to mention today, and that is that women tend to be underrepresented at the voting polls. So I I just have to put that out there. Women, please remember to register to vote if you haven't already. Check in with other women you know, too, to be certain they're registered. And please head to the polls, whether for your primary or general election.
3: Remember to exercise your right to choose the leaders who will represent you. Excellent advice. And I would, uh, my guess is that we're going to see a big, you know, turnout this year. There's so much energy um, around this election. So it's going to be exciting. I'm thrilled. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Jocelyn. Always love having you here. And we'll see you next week. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. Uh, now we're going to bring on to the show our, our very, very special guest this afternoon. I'm so thrilled to have her with us. She's calling from uh, Melbourne, Australia, and her name is Margie Wall. I, I, I'm trying to say that correctly, Margie. Um, <laughs> she she is an international thought leader and author, uh, media commentator, and the founder and CEO of Global Courage. Welcome to the show, Margie.
1: Oh, hi, Susan. Great to be here with you.
3: It's wonderful. I, I had a little panic at the beginning, wondering if we um
1: we lined up our time because we put our clocks ahead this weekend. You know what? And I just shot my PA an email and said, Hey, you need to be really careful because I had it scheduled in for a whole hour after this. So um, oh, I'm glad that I saw your email.
3: I am too, <laughs> and I thank you for being flexible. So listen, no I, I wanna here. Yeah, very good. I wanna I wanna dive right in and, and um, start with your growing up years in Australia and and I guess my big question is, is centered around that is how you um, came to find all of this courage and, and bravery in yourself so I wonder if you can talk mm. for a couple of minutes about your years growing up on a dairy farm in Australia
1: yeah I had um, a pretty sheltered upbringing in in many ways I the big sister of seven children, and uh, and my my dad, you know, left school at sixteen, to just run his parents' dairy farm, a small farm had about seventy, eighty cows, which isn't particularly big. Um, and uh, my mum had actually been a nun, which is interesting, for about nine years, and left the convent, met my dad, married him, had seven kids. So wow. so I grew up in a, yeah, pretty, you know, a very rural upbringing. Pretty sheltered, you know. I remember as a teenager, once a year we'd get to go to the city, and I get to go to McDonald's, and that would be like the highlight of my year. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but you know, I think I, I always had a sense of adventure, and you know, I, I guess I had a really very solid childhood. felt very loved, felt very nurtured, and but was dying to get out into the world. And at 18 I finished high school and I was excited to head off to the big city to go to university and and I think I've just always wanted to experience as much of the world as possible and you know after even finishing university you know I saved up money working a couple of jobs and I headed off around the world with a backpack and um been a year traveling, just literally, you know, from hostel to hostel and staying in different places for a year at the age of 21. So, I think I have a natural just curiosity for the world mm-hmm. and for cultures that are different to mine, and and I have a love of meeting people. And I love meeting people who are like me, but I also love meeting people who are very unlike me. And um, particularly culturally, when people see things very differently and have different values and different traditions. Um, that's just always been something that's fascinated me.
3: Yeah. I So it's a combination of things, and I always find it interesting that sometimes we see uh, leaders, uh, both men and women, who have achieved great success through overcoming adversity. And other times I see um, success and um, confidence and leadership because you've had a very secure foundation. You know, I think security yeah. comes from often from that type of environment growing up, and that can.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah,
1: though I think, I, you know, I didn't, I haven't, I, I'd be careful, I must be careful not to paint it all with, Um. you know, paint it all just as this completely beautiful picture. I, as much as it was a very solid foundation, that said, I recall acutely feeling like I was that and plain, and I know in my. by the time I was 13, I was developing um, an eating disorder, which I had with me right through my teens into my early 20s, mid-20s, actually. I had bulimia, mm. um, and so that was a pretty big challenge for me to overcome when I finally really confronted it in my early 20s and thought, okay, you know, I'm clearly not able to just get out of this cycle myself without getting some help so that was pretty formative for me as well yes um and so I think that's one that when I and I I ended up moving to Papua New Guinea in my mid-20s I got married to my husband I'm still married we're actually it's only 25 years since we've met and um and we moved to Papua New Guinea and it was up there that I you know I found myself you know in a in a robbery I lost my first child at you know five months pregnant I I ended up doing a lot of work on myself and um and I think that's where I ended up changing career. I'd been working in marketing in business and I and I changed over in in my late twenties, early thirties and studied psychology and then took me off on a completely different path that I'm on today. So um you know, and in, within my family when you've got seven kids there's there's some heartache and sad stories too. So oh, it's yes. certainly I, I would I'd be I'd be I would be misrepresenting the truth to say everything was just easy and 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 sweet it wasn't
3: yeah well i thank you for sharing that so you know so so openly because um you know we the tagline for this show is the real story behind the title and i think it's very important for um people when they share their stories to be open and honest about whatever it is that you know was on their journey um that's where the lessons come from
1: absolutely absolutely and i know I know for me, you know, and I look back because I get asked a lot, you know, how did you come to do what you're doing and, 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 you know, it was, it was, it's, I've, you know, I, I write and speak a lot about courage and resilience and purpose. I think they'd be my three biggest things that I write and talk about that I'm, that are closest to me. And, you know, courage, you know, it's just getting out of our comfort zone and being willing to risk failing and falling down and looking foolish. Resilience is being able to pick ourselves back up again and purpose because I think unless we're committed to doing, making our lives stand for something bigger than ourselves, bigger than looking good, um, we'll never find the courage to to do the things that really matter most and that bring us the greatest meaning, nor be resilient. So. Those three, those three attributes, those three virtues, really work in concert with each other. In my own life, I've had to really practice them, and um, and so I spend a lot of time outside my comfort zone. I can assure you. Well, that's yeah, no,
3: that's that's wonderful, and it's such an inspiration to others. I mean, I want the listeners to understand that um, you've worked with some very big, major companies, and it, it kind of speaks mm-hmm. to the fact of you know how important this kind of you know personal development is um, in relation to business as well. You've worked with NASA, uh, American Airlines, Hewlett-Packard, uh, PwC, mm-hmm. just, you know, among some others. And um, one of the things I was curious about, when you went in to work with these particular companies, what types of, um, you know, in the programs, what mm-hmm. what types of things were you doing with these uh, employees or yeah. leaders?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I continue to do to do now. I'm doing a program with Marriott and Oracle and different companies. So, um, yeah. So, for instance, um, you know, leading from why, you know, leading with purpose is a really important, you know, thing. Like, what is your big why? Why is it, why does what you do matter? So that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, having difficult conversations. So I do a lot of stuff around what are the conversations that leaders need to have with with themselves and with those around them. I talk a lot about trust and the different aspects of trust and trust as being obviously a cornerstone of leadership and of influence. Uh, You know, I I talk a lot about the importance of challenging the assumptions and stories that you have about who you are um, and about what, you know, assumptions about others, your team, your work environment, the challenges that you're facing, what can and can't be done. Um, And so... And I also talk a lot about, you know, helping to build resilience. What are the things that we can do that are in our control that we can do on a daily and regular basis that set us up to be at our best, to perform at our peak and to be able to bounce back more quickly and adapt through change. So they're all things I'll talk about in the programs I run, whether it's sometimes it's a one-hour keynote that I might be brought in to do. Sometimes it's a half day or a full day or a two-day or a whole week leadership program. It, It really varies. But... You know, just the things, because as you just said then, we think about leadership. So often we think about strategy and and highbrow, you know, Mm -hmm. these kind of things that, yes, they're important to, to navigate a company through uncertain times. However, a leader's effectiveness and a leader's influence is absolutely dependent on their own personal development. And a leader who may be the most brilliant strategist in the world and excellent with numbers and can see an opportunity a mile away, if they aren't able to manage their own themselves, if they're not able to lead themselves and work through those emotions that can come up that we all have to deal with, whether it's anger or frustration or it's uncertainty anxiety it's jealousy whatever it is Mm -hmm. you know those things will trip us up and so I think it's vital for anyone who aspires to be in leadership to be investing and I don't think we ever need to it's an ongoing journey to be continually investing in themselves in 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 just working on just how do they hone who they are as a human being
3: yeah, and I love that you said it, you know it's an ongoing journey. it certainly is we never you know go to these workshops and then you know figure it out and do it perfectly um, because I think those old uh, we talk a lot on this show about you know the tape that plays in your head um, from when you were growing up and certainly you know the adversity that you faced as a young girl and, and let me ask you that what do, do those um old feelings of insecurity and self doubt still creep up and and if they do what what tools do you use to, to work through them?
1: Yeah, they do. I, w- I would love to tell you, no, I never had the doubt anymore, or uh, but I, I absolutely it crops, it, they come up, and I, and my, my sense is they always will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, I think the more we work on ourselves, the better we get, we get at recognizing those little voices of self-doubt, not as who we are, but just our fear. In action, it's our fear that drives those those little voices in our head that go who are you to do that what if you fail what will people say and so you know one thing I do I mean I, I do I do many have many little rituals in my life but one thing is certainly when I notice those voices coming up I call them out and I, I've given mine a name I, I've called mine my little small poppy committee but some people call <laughs> them you know a gremlin or whatever it is right. for me it's ca- calling them a name helps to disassociate from them they're not who I am; they just want me to stay safe because we aren't wired to be happy or successful or to be great leaders. We're wired to protect ourselves mm-hmm. and so just recognizing that when those voices come up, they're there because they don't want me to to go out on stage to speak or to press you know send on an article that you know others will read because what if it, what if people don't like it? what if people think I'm not smart enough or whatever it is so yes those voices are really there to protect me from from being vulnerable from being exposed so that that really certainly helps me and you know and something i do all the time is i continually reconnect with my purpose right. so what is it i'm here to do what's my highest calling and how can i live it in the most powerful and courageous way and you know, when I'm coming from that place of I am enough is important work for me to do. It's not about comparing myself to others. You know, is this person you know, is Brene Brown better than me or is <laughs> you know yes. you know, just just what am I here to do, then that really allows me to, to do what I'm doing and to impact people in the most powerful way. So yeah, for anyone who's listening and you're thinking, Oh, I wish I had the confidence or the courage you know, then it, it really is about feeling that fear, acknowledging our own doubt in ourselves and our own vulnerability, and then just making that conscious decision. I'm going to step through it into action. I'm going to have this tough conversation. I'm going to put my hand up to this role. I'm going to pick up the phone and pitch this business or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and the more often we do that, as I wrote in, in my last book, Brave, courage is like a muscle and we have to train it. And the mm-hmm. more often we get out of our comfort zone the more we build that muscle and we build our confidence to do more and bigger things.
3: Yeah, I, I love that analogy. I read that, and, and I think that that will stick with me, training uh, the brave um, and thinking yeah, of it. Yeah, train the brave. A, train <laughs> the brave. I love that. Morgan, tell me, what what is your purpose? If I was to ask you, you know, in, in a word or mm-hmm. a statement, what is your calling? What would you say that is?
1: Yeah, It is. it is to... At the highest level, it is to help create a more courageous world because I believe that only when each of us as individuals uh, is has the courage to challenge our own stories and viewpoints and to let down our guard and be open to how other people see things, um, that we can build bridges, that we can have peace, more peace, that we can ultimately create a better world because I, I really believe creating a better world requires creating a braver world and that takes on an individual level each of us being being braver so i love to empower individuals but i i feel passionate about empowering people who are in leadership roles because and who aspire to being in leadership roles and who have a big vision because i think that that ripple effect just goes out that much further
3: absolutely and you know in today's world we we need it more than ever um you know strong leaders leaders who really are are you know, out there for the right reasons. Um, You, I wrote a quote down that you had said, and it kind of speaks to what we're discussing right now. You said, um, while we may look to politicians and Branson uh, referring to um, Richard Branson, like power brokers to lead the way we cannot and must not rely on them to solve our problems for us. And um, I I think that's such a, a powerful statement because it really speaks to the fact that each one of us individually are the only ones who can transform ourselves um, and make the difference. It's not while we get mm-hmm. advice and and we're inspired and motivated by others, it has to come from within.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I it, it absolutely does. And I think that's that concept of self-leadership. I mean, ultimately, we can put someone in a position of leadership, but all great leadership comes from self-leadership. and And I think just... Taking ownership of our, I use the word power not in, in, in the sense that people often think of someone in a position of formal power, but owning our own power to affect change. And I think it's so easy to abdicate it and think, well, I'm not that important, I'm not that significant, I don't have the power to make decisions that change government policy or, you know, end wars or anything else. But, But I think that's a cop-out. And, and I really believe we have to just step up and go, you know, I'm going to stop laying blame. I'm going to stop complaining about our leaders and politicians and our, and our, you know, managers and, and, and all the people, you know, big corporate and all of those that it's so, I hear so many people blaming the woes of the world all the time on,
0: mm-hmm.
1: on our leaders and, you know, women on blaming it onto men. And, and I think, you know what? Enough. Just what is it that you're doing? Are you powerfully in action? Trying to affect change because it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and and complain about what people aren't and and what are and aren't doing and uh, and I think if we were all just stepping up in action doing what we can we'd we'd see really different results and I think what we're seeing, for instance right now you know in the u s presidential election cycle is is obviously a lot of people saying, hey, I'm not happy with how things are.' But I think we have to be really careful thinking that any one person's gonna solve the problems out there, that we really do need to stop back and step back and take some ownership ourselves and go, Hey, you know, what is it that I'm doing? And um, where am I failing to have that difficult conversation? Where am I playing it safe myself and going, Oh, well they can put themselves out there but I don't want to?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, tell me what you, you know, one of the wonderful opportunities that came to you through the work that you're doing and, and um, you know, just because, you know, your, your message and your work becoming more well-known was t- to have an opportunity to spend um, a couple of days a week, perhaps, with Richard Branson. And I would imagine most of my listeners know who that is um i wanted to know what from that entire experience and and the interview you did with him what is the the biggest lesson you learned that has stayed with you um having that opportunity to to meet and come to know him
1: yeah no it was a really extraordinary um it was actually what four or five days and uh with with him on necker island and you know I think people thought I was going to come away with some brilliant entrepreneurial insight, Um, and yes, there was lots of interesting things. But I think the most powerful of all was literally his 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 authenticity and and really strong sense of purpose. Um, I think you know he's you know now in his sixties. I guess he's moving into period of his life where he's like, what's my legacy going to be? And uh, he just was so incredibly authentic, so real, so interested in what, you know, I was doing and the other people there were doing. Um, And I just loved his complete and utter lack of pretentiousness. Um, Mm. You know, he was like, how can we all make the world a better place? That was really where he was coming from. And there was no, I'm Richard Branson and you're on my beautiful private island.
0: (laughs) It was none of that.
1: It was just, it, it was really the most unpretentious, Real experience, anyone who was there telling, I mean, really telling anyone what their business title was would have looked completely foolish. It was really about how do we all create a better world by being more entrepreneurial and more innovative and connecting more with our purpose and less being driven by our pride. So, yeah, yeah. so I think it was just his, really his authenticity.
3: I love that. I love anyone who, um, you know, has been so impactful in the world and, and they lack that ego um, you know, that's always um, something I respect.
1: Yeah, no, it was really fantastic, um, an and extraordinary experience. So, yeah, thanks for asking. And 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 actually, and obviously, the opportunity to interview him, I got to interview him for an hour um, in front of a, a large group of people. And, um, you know, he was just—he's very candid. Um, he, he, you know, he doesn't speak fast. I speak really fast, <laughs> and he. <laughs> He takes his time and he thinks about it and um, and then often we'll kind of give a, you know, stop and then add something else to the conversation. And when it came to, you know, sharing his own mistakes and failings, you know, he's a man who's taken a lot of risks. Not all of them have paid off.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think I also walked away with where do I need to give myself more permission to fail? Mm. Um And I know that's something I'm not very good at and my guess is is the people listening into this now, where do you need to give yourself just more permission to try things and not necessarily get it right first time out the gate, you know, perfectly right on target? And I think when we give ourselves that permission it makes it easier to try things, to learn. And obviously, we're always better off once we've... With you, the best way of ever learning anything is just by getting out there and doing it. And I think particularly women, Susan, I I think we we set the bar so high on ourselves. Mm, we definitely. think we have to be perfect at something. We yes. have to be brilliant at it before we even try and do it. Yeah. And, and I just know that... One of my favorite sayings, done is better than perfect. But, you know, I just... Don't wait till you know everything. Don't wait till you can do something incredibly well, masterfully, before you just get out there and do it. Give yourself permission for it to be not brilliant.
3: That's right. That's right. Listen, uh, Margie, we have to take a a quick break, and when we come back, I would love to talk more with you about why you feel uh, the world's going to be a better place with more female leadership. We'll be right back. Mm
1: -hmm. Great.
3: Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to WigEleganceWigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's WigEleganceWigs.com. 215-945-4900 215-945-4900 that phone number again is 215-945-4900 and ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig that's wig elegance wigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and Womentowatch.net. I have a wonderful guest with me this afternoon. She's calling in from Melbourne, Australia. Her name is Margie Wall, and she is an international thought leader. She is an author. She is a media commentator and founding CEO of Global Courage. Uh, welcome back to the show, Margie. Margie.
1: Yeah, great to be here.
3: So one of the things I um I read was was just your um you know your belief in why stronger female participation and engagement mm-hmm. is not just good for women but it really is going to be good for uh the world as a whole. Why do you believe that? What do, what do you think will be uh, uh you know the difference that we'll see when we
1: get more women leading? Well, oh, look, you know, I mean, obviously, it's, it, my belief is backed up with a lot of research. obviously. Yes, lucky um, for us, it's, right? It's yeah. not only my anecdotal belief and, and experience, but it's just, I just think there's so much to, to show that it—that it's when more women are involved in decisions and more women are sitting around the decision making table and we need at least 30, 32% to tip the balance up until you get to that point, women are more just tokens. But once you get to that, that critical mass, women's input on decisions actually impacts the outcome of those decisions. And women, obviously, you know, it's, and, and in no way am I having any criticism of men because I think men are wonderful. I'm married to a great man. I have sons. We need men. We need what men bring to leadership, too. We do, we do. However, however women bring something different. And you know, we are naturally, we are naturally very perceptive. We are naturally very empathetic. We're naturally very tuned in to that, to the emotion of the group. I, I think at times women can be better at putting themselves in another person's shoes and seeing through their eyes. Now, this is a generalization. I'm not talking all the time. I'm not saying men can't do that, but I think women have often find that a little easier. And so when it comes to Um, making decisions I think what women bring that 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 collaborative spirit that way of getting people on board of tuning into what others think and how they feel it can just help to create better decisions and it can also ultimately impact the strategies that are chosen and I think obviously you know if you're looking at things when it's you know countries whether it's in a peace process or it's companies that are merging or there's a lot of change going on create more harmony and avoid potential disharmony in a group so so i think that it's just so important that um we do see more women sitting at senior decision making tables where those decisions are made and that takes of course getting more women moving up that pipeline and and we know that there's more girls you know coming out of college than than guys these days where we excel in the academics we get out there but then we drop off by our early 30s women are dropping off exponentially Mm -hmm. and so I think that's where what does it take for our for young bright capable women to stay the course and obviously so much of the traditional you know child rearing etc is is still left on a woman's plate we still organize the birthday parties and manage the home schedule and organize the food and you know we're prepping most of the meals and all of those things often more of that sits on a woman's plate than a man's plate so i think you know it's it's so systemic just you know just in our culture that it's going to take a lot of change and it's going to take a commitment by women and men and how we how we parent our kids too so Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's a really big topic, but I think it's a really important one. And I, and I was just got an email this morning, you know, just talking about the number of women involved in the peace negotiations in Syria at the moment and three of 17 in in a particular negotiation, there's three of 17 in Syria are women now. And I just think we need to see that way higher because men, I think naturally when more men are involved in, we see more war and we see more conflict.
3: Well, that right, that is true, and I, you know, I wonder when I think about today, we're we're so fortunate in in having women like you and organizations and networking groups and um, lots and lots of great books that that talk about the importance of women in leadership. You know, I wonder why is it taking so long? Um, what what is your view about that? I think you know when you when we sit around and have these conversations, people have different perspectives on why we're still lagging behind
1: what do you
0: think yeah oh, is- look, i look
1: well i think there's multiple reasons for it i mean absolutely there is unconscious bias that exists um and and that unconscious bias by the way isn't just men's unconscious bias against women where they tend to put a man into a role instead of a woman who would be just as qualified um it's also women we have a bias against ourselves so I think there's unconscious bias. Um, We know that, you know, just the lack of flexibility in workplaces often work against women. So, you know, just just general policies work against women. So that's one part of it. There is those external factors and there's multiple external factors. I also believe, however, that as women, um, we... Sometimes we tend to doubt ourselves more and back ourselves less than men. We tend to, as to, to you know, use Cheryl Sandberg's language, we tend to lean out when we could be leaning in. Um, I think, you know, I know this is my own experience. I remember when I was thinking about, I had, I had three children quite close. I moved from Australia to the US in October 2001, just after 9/11, and I remember, you know, someone asking me, Are you going to have a fourth child? And I and I can remember so clearly saying, Oh, I can't have four children and have a career. I wanted to change careers and start doing more coaching and leadership development and and I just remember thinking, I can't have four children and have a career. I said st- I stated that as though it was a fact. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any I didn't have any role models. I didn't know any women who had a large family and a career. I do know them now. I know they exist all over the place, but in my world, I didn't know any. I had a, certainly had a stay-at-home mum growing up, and so my husband was incredibly supportive. and He said, "Absolutely, you can do that. We'll find a way. We'll figure it out. Let's not have that be a reason not to have a fourth child if we we think we'd love to have a fourth child." Yes. Um, and so I did have a fourth child, but there was a couple of factors there. One, I underestimated my ability to do both things. Um, and two i I did really lack i couldn 't see anyone out there that was doing what it is that I wanted to do that was could be a good mum and have a have a you know a large family in my mind at the time four children it 's not really large but um and be pursuing a rewarding career so I think that we need more female role models, but we also need to just back ourselves and believe that we can do more than we think we can because I do think we women tend to underestimate our own ability and our own capacity.
3: Absolutely. And I think the the, the important thing is to know that you can do it on your own terms. You know, that gets back to that yeah. that um, thought about don't don't worry about how and what everyone else is doing do it on your own terms um, what works for you um, Margie right at now we're, we have on the line the wonderful Dr. Beth Beaumont Dupree who I, I believe I mentioned to you in an email she is um, my co-host and a core sponsor of the show and just came back from a trip to Australia so she wants to check in Oh,
1: fantastic
0: hey Margie how are you I'm great, Beth. How are you? I am good. I don't even have any uh, any time issues because I did stop on the west coast on the way back. But uh, I was visiting a beautiful country. My sister lives in the mid-north coast in a beautiful little place called Stewart's Point, a little beach called Grassy Head. And I hope nobody goes there because it's the most unbelievably <laughs> um, gorgeous spots in the world. So now they all listen to it. Everybody in Australia is listening to this. But uh, um, only go there when I'm not there because it was an amazing time. And uh, I've oh, been fantastic. listening to, I've been listening to every word, and I have to tell you, um, you know, I've been a surgeon for 25 years. I, um, over the past couple of years, have moved into many leadership roles within my institution, and uh, I have to tell you, your words have been very powerful and resonating. And um, it's just kind of interesting because, you know, um, as a physician, you are a leader, but it's different being a leader in your practice and with your patients. Than it is being a leader in the business world of healthcare, very very different uh very different worlds and um so your your advice and your words have been very sage and very timely so thank you very much
1: pleasure pleasure
0: um i I'm so glad you got to visit Australia.
1: I think I wish more more people would just get on the plane and fly on down. I know it's a long way,
0: but it's um it's worthwhile. <laughs> it was amazing, and the funniest thing to me was every Aussie that I was sitting with at dinner or anything, all they wanted to talk about was politics in the United States. And <laughs> I, read your, I read your newspapers every day. And I have to say, your cartoonists of um, Sanders and Clinton and Trump and the entire lot. I was laughing my butt off every morning because I would open up the papers to see what You know, what the, uh, you know, we were a great fodder for the Australian news media. Um, You know, it's kind of sad. Look, honestly, anyone would
1: think that we were deciding who was our president. We spent a lot of time and a lot of Australians do, you know, scratch their heads a lot, particularly um, with the rise and rise and rise of, of Donald Trump kind of going, what are they thinking? So I'm, I'm not sure if you got a lot of people giving you a hard time, but I could imagine being in there. Oh, I, so people I, got, so why, I got a hard time. How did yeah. this happen?
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny because they they seem to think that we were hitting the grog in the U.S. because um, how else could anybody like that happen? And I said, well, I said, what you have to realize, they said Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump really took off because um, in the U.S. the the level of dissatisfaction was with how Washington runs – is so high, and who knows what's going to shake out in the end, but, you know, I said, no, you know, if everything in Australia was perfect, if healthcare was perfect, if your government, I mean, I heard enough complaints about things in, in Oz, um, but I said, there is no utopia. If there was a utopian world, um, I probably would have moved yeah. there already, you know, yeah. but that doesn't exist. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, well, look, at the, and, and honestly, it, I think just, you know, talking about leadership on this show... You know, trust is so important to leadership, and I think that what we see in the U.S. right now has been a, is is reflecting a real breakdown of trust yep. in those that we had we that are in positions of leadership that we can't trust those we've wanted to trust to do what we've charged them to do, what we entrusted them to do, and so people are looking elsewhere um, to Bernie Sanders as a different model to to Trump, going well at least he speaks. At least he speaks his mind we don't know what the others think you know so yeah. i think that that's part of what we're seeing is how do we know that they truly mean what they say and say what they mean and they're not just saying what they think people want to hear or will get them elected
0: well that's and that's the that's the that's the guys truth is if you if all you do is say what people want to hear to get the vote then you really aren't being true to yourself and that's that kind of catches up with you in the end and uh i do yeah. i have to tell you i i loved, i love looking at your books um, stop playing safe is uh I you don't know much about me, but many years ago I took a chance and left a health system and built a hospital with um some uh healthcare um executives from Nashville and um the hospital ended up closing several years later, but I didn't play it safe. I, you know, kinda did what I thought I needed to do and you know at the moment when the hospital closed it seemed like one of the most difficult points in my life because it was failure but I am so much better for it I can't tell you um, yeah. I became a better businesswoman I became a better doctor um, I because I was doing things for the right reasons I was doing things for my patients trying to improve their level of care and by doing so um, changed the level of care for many of the hospitals in our area so when I uh, when I was researching you last night, I looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, I love this woman because uh, bravery <laughs> and courage are two things that I think we all have to have more of because if you, if you play it safe your entire life, uh, people were looking I, – I changed my uh, Facebook background to me climbing the side of a mountain, and I got all these comments, oh, my gosh, don't fall, don't hurt yourself. And I'm thinking, yeah, did you like not let your kids play in the backyard and ever cut themselves and scrape their knees because you can't <laughs> go through life. How about it, Sue? Did you protect your yeah. kids that well? I mean, you got No, you've but let... what
3: mountain was that, by the way?
0: What that mountain? That was actually Bear Mountain. It is my favorite mountain in the world. I climb it every time I go to Sedona. It is um, it's the second highest uh, mountain out there, and it looks down into Boynton Canyon, and it's the most absolutely phenomenally peaceful place for me. Um, the energy is amazing. It's a really tough climb, so not many people go up there. And um it's funny, I met a, I met a nurse while I was out there and she's actually getting married up there and I love her. I said, that is a great way to minimize the number of people you have to take to your reception. Cause if they can't climb to the top of the mountain, um, <laughs> you're not gonna be able to, you know, you're not gonna go into the wedding. But it was, uh, it's, it was such a beautiful climb and I just, I, my son took that picture and I had to, uh, I had to change that background on my Facebook from my quiet meditative spot at Cathedral Rock to, um, you know, going over the edge of, you know, going up the edge of one of the one of the climbs because it's um, you just sometimes you just have to take some risks in life and and not be so worried about the outcome. Just just do it, you know.
3: You know, that's a perfect uh, right. segue to my, to my next question, uh, Margie. You talk a lot about taking risks, and uh-huh. I wanted I, I wanted to ask you, you know, in in a world where you know the economy is 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 unstable, and you know we have fear. We have a lot of uh, fear in today's world, mm-hmm. simply because we know and see what's going on, and with terrorism and and all of that. So, how does one determine whether or not it's the right time to take a risk?
1: Um,
3: you know, it yeah, is, it, yeah. It, well, how you know, do you know?
1: Well, you know, it's it's a great thing, and I really dived into risk taking in in my second book, Stop Playing Safe. <laughs> That we were just talking about a moment ago, you know, risk um, is 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 something that we are wired to avoid. I mean, we do have, we have to take risks, and you get your Bear Grylls, Richard Branson, people who are all about taking risks. But generally, I said earlier, we're we're not wired to to be to be happy. We're wired to protect ourselves, and risk, therefore, when we're looking at taking risk, we tend to focus a lot more. Susan, on what it is that could go wrong than what might go right, on what we could lose versus what we could gain and we have a a tendency to to downplay or discount the cost of inaction. So I just share that because when you're looking at taking a risk, do I quit my job and do I build a hospital as Beth did? Do I change careers? Do I leave a relationship? Do I get into a relationship? We do have this tendency to, to think about all the things that might go wrong that we wouldn't want to happen versus and to to sometimes tell ourselves, I'll just stick with how things are. It's not so bad. But the problem is is if you're in a situation right now, maybe it's in your job, your career, your business, um or relationship and you're thinking, uh, it's not great, it's probably only going to get worse. And so we discount the cost of inaction. And I I really encourage people to think, when you're thinking about taking a risk, yes, you need to think about, well, what could go wrong? And how do I mitigate the downside so that, you know, I wouldn't lose everything so that if things started going, you know, off, off the tracks, I would quickly be able to do something. But you have to also ask yourself, how will I feel? What will it look like six months, 12 months from now, if I do nothing? And I know for me, I launched Raw Courage TV, an online TV channel, uh, last year. And I remember thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. However, I do not want to look back on my deathbed one day and go, what if I tried? And um, and so with so much, like even having the fourth child. I don't want to look back one day and go, oh, maybe I could have done it. Maybe... Who knows what might have happened? So I just encourage people if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, is this the time for me to you know, quit my job and start a business or you know, expand it or whatever, yeah, do your homework and be really, really diligent in making sure you, you don't go into things haphazardly, but just be really mindful also that there is a cost, there is a risk to inaction. And that you that so much so often people regret far more the risks that they didn 't take than the ones they did,
0: mm. Margie, I have to tell you, my favorite quote from an inspirational calendar um, has guided me many times in life, and it 's "Take risks in life based upon what you may gain, not based upon what you fear you may lose and mm. it's been one of those kind of principles that uh you know i don 't always make the right decisions. Uh, or uh, you don't always get the outcome that you may think you may get, but I mean, look at Sue. She started a show. Um, how about it, Sue? I'm sure that when you when you first sat down and said, "Hey, I'm going to do women to watch," you didn't sit back and think of all the things that were going to go wrong. You thought about all the messages you were going to be able to get out to women and to empower other women to then start to find their dreams.
3: Absolutely. I, I did. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just knew. <laughs> I had, you know, no experience in radio, but I, I really, um, you know, i got back to what Margie said at the beginning about, you know, having purpose. And I knew that, you know, what I was really trying to do was encourage more women to be leaders. And as long as I was sticking with that and, and all the decisions I made, um, it would come together. And so far so good.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and absolutely. And I, and I, And I think for women, just for us, I think we tend to be a bit more risk-averse than men. And while that can sometimes lead us to making more sensible decisions, I think sometimes it holds us back from sometimes just taking that leap of faith in ourselves and going, what the hell, I'm just going to go out there and do this.
3: Yeah. You know what? We only have two minutes left, Margie. I wanted my last question to be, what do you consider to be the bravest thing you've ever done?
1: (laughs) Oh, man (laughs) i saved that for Uh, the for the end (laughs) the bravest thing i've ever done oh probably when i was 21 and with just a few travelers checks no phones or credit cards just got on a plane in australia with a ticket that was taking me around the world for a year and not knowing where i would stay on the first night
0: oh my (laughs) god
3: oh that's a great memory that's a great memory um Margie, tell. Yeah. Do, I'd love for you to for the listeners if they want to be in touch with you. Um, what's the best place to reach you?
1: Yeah, look, thank you for asking. Probably just pop over to my website margiwarrell. dot com, um, and I'm sure you'll share that with with any listeners I um, will. on Twitter or anywhere else. But but that's that's the easiest way to get to get hold of me through my website and I'd love to hear from people but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram so connect with me on those lovely social social networks because you know that's where I love to just stay in touch with people regularly and and continue to inspire people to just think ah what is really possible for me and that I'm not doing because fear and self-doubt is getting in the way.
3: Mm, thank you so Beautiful. much for joining us today. And thank you for being here, Beth, as well. It was a pleasure great show. Meeting you, Margie. Yeah,
0: absolutely. pleasure, Beth. Take
1: care.
3: Take care. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Have a great week.
1: This is the story
3: of The One.